Hello and welcome back to Need to Read, you absolute legends. My name is Ed Cunningham. As always, I'm your host. And today, I've got a conversation that's going to help you with your emotional needs. Let's face it, none of us get the emotional education that we need. Schools don't do it. Our parents don't know how. We don't really know how as we get older. But luckily, the world has provided us with people like psychotherapists, like Whitney Goodman, the lady I spoke with today for this podcast. And she is the author of a book called Toxic Positivity. She runs the Instagram account, Sit With Wit, and that's where she made her name, providing content that gave people an emotional education which kind of helps people take control of their life and enjoy their life because once you've ticked the emotional box, everything else gets a little bit easier. So I read her book and I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to speak to her for the podcast and I'm glad that I did because we cover how positivity becomes toxic because that's a pretty good question, right? How social media has a role in spreading this toxic positivity, how we can complain effectively because I know everyone likes to complain. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that I do. We also talk about how gratitude is not a cure-all, how people can become healing obsessed. We talk about my pathologizing and how to live well by feeling the full spectrum of emotions. I'm sure you're going to love this podcast. I love recording it. And Whitney's book, Toxic Positivity, is really good. So if you do fancy having a read, you know where to go which is anywhere you usually go to get books. Now, before we get into the podcast, just very quickly a word from the sponsors. Now, I'm very lucky with this podcast that I don't have to do moisturizer ads or ads for ball shavers and stuff like that. Maybe in the future, let's not rule it out, but currently the sponsor of this podcast are BetterHelp and Athletic Greens. Two things, I stand fully behind. Therapy with BetterHelp. You can get that online at a 10% discount with the code need to read or just head to the link in the description where you get that automatically included. Now, why would you choose BetterHelp? Well, therapy, it can be quite intimidating. You might not want to go and sit in front of someone. You might need to make it work around your lifestyle and having it done on the computer is a really convenient way of doing that. And it just so happens to be cheaper than your standard counselling. So if you were thinking about therapy, and you want to get yourself an emotional education with your own personalised therapist, which will be matched to your own needs, once you've completed the application, of course, just head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. And like I say, you get 10% off your first month of online therapy. And if you've been listening to me at all ever, you know that I think therapy has changed my life. So, of course, happy to share that. Now, as well, Athletic Greens, all the information for that is in the description of the episode. It is something I've been taking for two years and I absolutely love it. My diet's never that great. I don't get everything that I need from my diet. So Athletic Greens is pretty much my nutritional insurance. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients. And they're pretty much made for anyone with their AG1 formula. They've adapted it and changed it 53 times since inception. So they really give a shit about making this stuff as good as possible. The link for that is in the description of the episode. It is athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read. And as a little Brucey bonus freebie, you will get five free travel packs, which are pretty convenient for, you guessed it, traveling and a year's supply of vitamin D. So that's athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read. Engaging with the sponsors is a great way to support the show, but also you can just share it. It doesn't matter. Or even just listening is good enough. But obviously, if it sounds like it's something that will work for you, then go right ahead and have a look at the links in the description. But I've bored you enough 
Let's get into the conversation with Whitney and ask the questions about toxic positivity. Why do you care about toxic positivity? (laughs) So, you know, I noticed that this was this thing that so many people were talking about privately with me in therapy um, as friends. But we were also kind of participating in this culture of like, I have to be positive. I have to be grateful, but secretly hating it or the pressure of it behind the scenes. And so to me, I was like, oh, wow, this is something that we really need to talk about then because I feel the same way. Yeah. But how have you seen it online? Because you've got quite a big um, audience online or following. How has the response been to you outing this toxic positivity thing? Yeah, so I posted about this for the first time back in like 2018. And I don't know, I maybe had like three or 4,000 followers at the time. And this was my first post that really like went, I guess, viral for my small account and really built my following. Um, mm. And the, the response was so polarizing, which again, to me was like, okay, we have to keep talking about this, where people were either like toxic positivity, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, it's not possible for positive be toxic, like you're crazy, whatever. And then I saw people being like, wow, I've really been looking for, um, a way to describe this, or this is something I've felt my whole life. Like, thank you for putting words to this feeling. And I feel like now more people are kind of getting it, but I still, of course, get those people that are like, I manifest anything I want, positive vibes only, and they're just never gonna agree with me yeah i I envy those people sometimes i would me too i wish i could live like that like just they must feel so light all the time no it would be perfect (laughs) but but when then does does positivity become toxic because those people like they are quite nice to be around sometimes but obviously there are examples where they're not so good you don't want them around (laughs) Exactly. So positivity is not inherently toxic. It's actually a good thing a lot of the time, like you mentioned. It becomes toxic when we use it at the wrong time with the wrong people and the wrong topic. And I think the topics and the timing are really what's so important when we're not considering like our audience and what they might need at that moment. Yeah, for sure. Do you think there's like a cross-cultural thing? Because I, I would say that this is quite an Americanized thing, like toxic positivity, but it's that it's bled over to England quite a lot. We have an old reputation that no longer necessarily sits with the Brits of being like quite stoic and quite like stiff upper lip. Whereas across the pond and the further west you go, like it, it does seem to be a little bit more positive. Like going to yeah. a coffee shop in America, people want to know how you are go to a coffee shop in England, people are like, fuck do you want, mate? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so interesting because I think it is definitely a very uh, stereotypical American thing of like, we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. You know, this is built into our our nation's, you know, beliefs and all that. But what I've noticed in just writing this book and putting it out there, now I think it's translated into like 13 or 14 languages. That, thank you. It's definitely something that has crossed borders. And to me, I think a lot of that has to do with social media. Um, We're able to view what is popular, new or interesting in other cultures. And Americans 
have a way of thinking that what we're doing is the best or, you know, we're putting it out there through Hollywood, et cetera, that I think it's easy to learn about it now and, and kind of replicate it. I mean, you actually touched on in your book about how toxic positivity had its impacts on Black Lives Matter, like early in, in the pandemic last year, 2020, year before last, sorry. How, how has that manifest then? Because I, I, I saw a meme once and it was like, maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's white privilege. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. lived in my head rent free. Um, but most of my audience, I'm, I'm assuming I've got a prom- predominantly white audience, right? But how then can they spot toxic positivity in their response to racism? Right. So we saw a lot of this, especially on social media. And what that looks like is that it's very dismissive and kind of telling someone that their lived experience isn't really that bad or that there's a very simple fix to it. And the way that I usually see this coming out is like, can't we all just love each other? I don't see color. Um, Can't we all just get along? Or I just want peace. Like these really nice, well-intentioned saying that I think to the other person kind of make it sound like, wow, you don't realize how bad this is. Um, You want me to use a very simple solution for a very complex problem. And it kind of feels like you're just trying to shut someone up. And and that happens in, in different parts of people's lives, right? With toxic positivity. It's one of those things that's just kind of, whether on purpose or not, you kind of shut down the feelings of, of another person, right? Yeah. That's like what is inherently toxic about toxic positivity, I think, is that it's dismissive. It shuts down the conversation and it makes the other person or yourself doubt your experience to some degree of like okay i should just be happy it's it's not that bad yeah yeah it's one of those things like you you spoke about it in, in the book and we've already touched on it a little bit with like manifesting is it it's it's tends to be quite pretty able-bodied white women who who talk about this and i obviously have to feel an immense amount of fear saying that because i am a, a <laughs> straight white man so i'm the devil right <laughs> i shouldn't comment on stuff like that um but i i can't help but feel it's it's just so ignorant to have this, this archetypal manifester who is going to make people feel bad about feeling bad it doesn't make too much sense to me and i sometimes want to take it upon myself to take them down as it were which really just means i want to like provide some information that will invalidate what they've just said um but i feel bad about it and i and i hold back so what i'd say is like is there a good way to navigate saying someone like hey you're being disgustingly toxically (laughs) positive here can you acknowledge the real world for a moment? Is there a good way to navigate that conversation? You know, I'm trying to figure out how to do that with that crowd. I, I posted about manifestation and privilege yesterday. And I think this is the second time I've put this post up in the last two years. And people get so angry. I had someone accuse me of purposely trying to lower people's vibration to sell more <laughs> books. And I was like, wow, that's a new one. So for some reason, and and it is usually like white, wealthy women, people who who have a lot of access to things. And I'm one of those people that's had access. And I think we have to call that out and be like, 
yes, I worked hard for my career. I got myself here, but I also had parents that helped me out and I don't have student loan debt. And I didn't manifest all of that. You know, I just got lucky. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like you're arguing with someone who never, never come to agree with you because you'll, you'll say something yeah. like, that. like, no, you did manifest it. Like give yourself some credit. You really <laughs> manifested it. Like you must've dreamt it at some point. It was one of your 60,000 thoughts a day, one day. So yep. you did it. So like, they've already got a rebuttal for you, which makes it quite difficult. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And there's something to be said about like, you know, people who cling so strongly to those beliefs and kind of, sometimes I'm just like, all right, if that's working for you, great. And this is really my belief about anything, even, you know, positive thinking, like if it's helping you, if it's working for you, great, but consider the impact it might have on others when you force it on them, you know, whether that's medication, positive thinking, anything. Um, everybody has a different life. Yeah. It's such a weird one because I like, I come up with that as my, my reasoning in my mind. I'm like, Hey, they, it might just work for them. And that's great. They don't have to push it on others. And then I'm like, hold on all of a sudden, am I, am I just as bad as them? Because I'm pushing a bit of realism on people. Mm -hmm. So conflicting. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Um, so you speak about quite a few different things in the book and obviously the toxic positivity was like the first bit and then it, it bleeds throughout all of the different chapters. But one of your chapters I like, because I, I like to complain as much as most people <laughs> don't like to admit, right? Um, but you speak about effective complaints. So can we touch on that and just help people understand how they can effectively complain? For sure. So it's really important to know exactly what you're complaining about. So the facts, what's going on, the result that you want to happen. And this could just be that you want somebody to listen to you, um, or maybe you want some change. And then who can make that happen? And when those three things line up, complaining usually feels much more effective and we're less likely to get stuck in like that constant complaining loop that is destructive. Mm. And at what point then does it come destructive? Because if like, sometimes it's nice to just complain without ever being able to come to a solution. Like it's nice to complain about capitalism, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't so, so much have the power to, to change that. And I'd like benefit from it massively. Um, <laughs> is there space to do that? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what you're pointing to is like, this desire to be heard, to find community among our complaints. So like um, when I became a mom, I was complaining, I'm still complaining, I'm complaining constantly about that. But there's community in that. When I talk to other parents, when I talk to other women, like I can be like, okay, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I'm not really doing anything about the problem. It's not changing, but I don't feel alone in it and I feel understood. And that is a solution in its own right. Yeah, I think I think you're right there because you can bond with people over positive things, and you can bond with people over your like likenesses. But when you have stuff that you dislike or want to complain about, and you find someone with a mutual dislike for that thing, it does bring you to a deeper sense of connection. So I suppose even if the end result is just a deeper sense of connection with another human being, it's a worthwhile endeavor, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the people that we feel like said most connected to a lot of time are the people that we've been through difficult things with, uh, the people that we've struggled with that have helped us through dark times. Like those are typically the deeper relationships than the relationships you have with people that are just all positive and fun all the time. Yeah. I, I often worry for the toxic positivity cults like future with with friends because they often talk about like cutting negative people loose what does a healthy friendship look like then because we're being told now to cut out negative people and and instantly just get rid of them as soon as they start bringing down our vibes who do we not cut out yeah it's such a fine line because i think we have to remember that people are always going through seasons in life and there are times where you can be a really good friend and there are times where it's hard for you to be a friend. And what I often see is people want a certain level of compassion extended to them, but they're not necessarily willing to give that back to other people. So the second someone doesn't come to their birthday party or doesn't answer their phone call, it's like, oh, I got to cut them out. They're not a good friend. And so having some empathy for that, I think there's a very big difference between someone that's going through a hard time and someone who's being cruel, abusive, mean to you, wants to bring you down mm -hmm. and sort of like navigating um, which bucket does that person really fall into is important. Yeah, for sure. People often say you should treat yourself like as if you, you were your own friend and that's like self-compassion. So touch on, on self-compassion because we, we all need to be a better friend to ourselves. And like, I'm probably not alone in the fact that if I took the advice of the toxic positivity cult and, and I was going to be a friend to myself, I probably would have cut myself off a long time ago, right? Somehow. So <laughs> where does, where does self-compassion come, come into all of this? Well, I think toxic positivity is, is the opposite of self-compassion in a lot of ways, because you're telling yourself not to feel something, just to be positive. You're dismissing yourself. When we use self-compassion, we're able to say, like, I'm a human being who has feelings. I'm a human being that's going through a hard time, um, that's, you know, struggling, whatever it is. And you can use that to validate the reality of what's going on and also help yourself get to a solution, a coping skill, something. Hmm. You just mentioned validating the reality. What would that look like for someone? So I think whenever we're going through something difficult, whether that's like grief, loss, you know, uh, not doing well in some area of life, it's we're pushed to say like, but I should be grateful that I have this, or at least it's not that. And what I encourage people to do first is say like, this is hard. I'm going through a hard time. It's normal to be struggling right now. It would be kind of weird if I wasn't struggling with this. And going back to that, how would you talk to a friend? You know, would you be surprised that they were struggling? Would you beat them up for that? And from there, you can say, I'm going through a hard time and I have people to support me or, and I have resources to help me get through this and really hold space for both sides of the coin okay so like in your your internal argument you're going with an and and not a but would it right but the same or different yeah so the but sort of the way the language works with that is if you say like i'm going through a hard time but i have people to help me it kind of negates mm. the hard time it's almost like 
But because I have this, it cancels out that. And I think using and it holds them both at the same like level. And you're able to say like, both of these things are important. Both of these things are true. Um, Both of these things have validity to them. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I suppose it's like, it's, it's it doesn't have to be a conflicting position to have people who support you in your life and people who also want to be douchebags to you. Right. Right. Yeah. All things can be true at once. Cool. Um, now, I, I wanted to question you on something just about ha- having a social media following. You don't look like you plaster your face all over it too much. Don't look like you're talking to the camera too much. It seems to be a place that you just give, give out information. Being inundated by toxic positivity most of the time, right, on social media as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you stand on, on social media and its role? In, in people's mental health? Because it, it seems to be the evidence is building up in, in the against pile. Um, but I'd love to know what yeah. you think. Yeah, you know, I think this really falls into, again, our desire to put everything in like black and white boxes. Um, and we do this with social media. It's either good for us or it's not for us. And what I have found is that the way you use social media is what impacts people the most. So mm. if you're following a ton of people that make you feel bad about yourself, probably going to feel bad. If you're on there all day and it's impeding you taking care of yourself, uh, spending time with people, whatever, it's probably going to make you feel bad. I don't think our phones or social media are going anywhere. So my goal as a mental health provider is to try to get people to think about how do I want to use this in my life and what makes the most sense for me, what feels the most supportive. I'm somebody that uses social media really for work. I don't use it personally very much at all anymore. Um, And that works for me. I enjoy it. It it helps me in some ways. Um, But if I was on there following like, a ton of influencers who maybe had more than me or look different than me, I might start to feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm in a real conflict with myself at the moment, trying to work out whether like I see all these arguments for how, how bad it is for teenage girls, which obviously means it's going to be bad for everyone else as well. Um, and then my role as a creator on there, I'm like, well, can I just come on here and say to everyone like, Hey, none of the shit that you see on here really is real. And also social media is probably not very good for your brain, but I'm also obviously a hypocrite by being on here. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a, a weird position to be in, to be like, kind of have like the insider knowledge that people don't want to seek out, to know how detrimental it can be for people's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I wanted to ask you that one. It was, it was a pure curiosity from, from a selfish point of view. Yeah, um, I, I get that for sure. I feel that sometimes too. Yeah, I, I think I personally, since starting to recognize things like toxic positivity, I, I most of the time unfollow them. I, I bring my echo chamber in a little bit and, and mm-hmm. cut them out, you know, those positive <laughs> people. I don't need those vibes. Um, <laughs> if, if someone's really struggling and they're finding themselves feeling attacked or feeling condescended um, by social media, would you recommend any kind of like social media like hygiene at all or yeah i think you know unfollowing people or muting people that really make you feel bad about who you are as a person i think is always a good idea 
Mm. I'm definitely a proponent for, I like to follow people who have different viewpoints than me that I can learn from. But I think that's different than someone who is making you feel bad about your body, Mm. your gender, your intellect, et cetera. Um, really creating good habits around when you use social media. I try not to use it in bed anymore. And that's really helpful for me, or maybe not looking at it first thing in the morning. Some people like to use timers. Um, a lot of this is like just kind of testing things and seeing what makes you feel the best. Yeah. You're such a, such a therapist with that. I love it. <laughs> Isn't it? There's never like a, Hey, this is the no. so you got to kind of work this out for yourself. Yeah. Very um, annoying therapist. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back to something because we, we spoke about gratitude a little bit earlier. And gratitude is quite a confusing topic, right? Because there'll be people out there who try and say, hey, just write that down 10 things that you're grateful for, which obviously is really fucking hard, right? And then there are people who are like, write three things you're grateful for. And within two weeks, you're going to feel super, super happy. Um, you obviously have done quite a bit of research into gratitude and it's in the book. So, what did you find? surprising about your research into gratitude yeah so the biggest thing i think we have to remember that i and i'm not surprised by this but i am is that whenever the psychology community finds an intervention that is cheap or free and can be generalized to a lot of people they're going to put it out everywhere and i think we see that with gratitude research you know having people make gratitude lists whatever is easy What I found is that a lot of these gratitude practices have not really been tested on a diverse group of people. Um, We also see that these interventions can be quite harmful for people who are struggling with persistent or severe mental illness. If that's the first line of treatment with somebody who has, let's say, bipolar disorder or very severe depression, you might be stopping them from getting actual treatment that they need, you know, in the form of therapy, medication, whatever. So gratitude is great. Uh, It's helpful, but it's not a cure-all. And I find that it's being prescribed as one. Um, And across so many situations where I'm not sure it's the the first line of treatment. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that comes quite naturally after after a while of of doing other things. I think Mm -hmm. I've, I've been pretty depressed in the past and... I'd probably say that I'm going through one of those stages now where like my mood is just low and mm. gratitude is like the last thing on my mind. Unless, <laughs> right. unless like a true phenomenologist, I'm like walking and I catch a, catch a tree at the right angle. And I'm like, oh, wow, well, this is pretty cool here. <laughs> um, but I've, I've never found gratitude lists to, to work. Um, I think I, I'd seen Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you've you've come across <laughs> stuff. When he was talking about gratitude, he talks about how people attach to gratitude in stories. And honestly, the, the most grateful I'd ever felt in my whole entire life was after I'd watched There Will Be Blood. Mm, I you watched that. It's a yeah. it's a film about like the oil um, tycoons who are going around uh, just moving people out of their homes and drilling in holes in the ground. And I was like, God, you know what? Thank God I'm not alive then. And that no one's trying to like dig up my home now. And I've, I must have written thousands of things that I've been grateful for over the years. So gratitude, we can kind of conclude like, if it doesn't work for you, don't feel so bad. Yeah. And I think what you just mentioned of like walking down the street and seeing a tree is the type of gratitude practice that I really use myself. And I think mm. is most helpful is allowing 
gratitude to arise naturally and in the moment and not like saying like today I am depressed and I need to be grateful. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write 10 things I'm grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's comforting to hear you say that that's like what you like, because you probably have this with all your clients. Like they just want that little bit of validation from you to like, know that you think they're doing something right. And you touch on validation, um, in the book and you also touch on being healing obsessed. This is something I recognize in a few people that I know. And, and Mm. in an older version of me, I was so obsessed with like fixing all these different parts. So could you tell me where, like, What's the issue with being healing obsessed? Yeah, I've noticed this phenomenon, especially as uh, therapists have become more popular on social media. And I know I contribute to this, that (laughs) there's, it's like whack-a-mole. There's so many things of like, do I have trauma? Do I have this? Do I have an attachment disorder? And these are real things, but we become fixated. And I think it's a way to not really ever have to sit with yourself. It's like exercise, dieting, whatever of like, I'm going to do this next thing. And you're constantly making yourself a project that you can never really just like sit and enjoy life because you're waiting to get to this next like plateau of feeling good. Yeah. And do you, do you have it like with, with clients? So they come in and then you feel like instantly it's like wow you are really obsessed with with having a problem like i'm a pathologizer that like the amount of times i've gone into therapy sessions with pretty much like a presentation like <laughs> hey this is what i think i have this week um yeah, right. how can we fix it is, is it quite common for people to be like that absolutely um especially among people who are you know very productive very active people high achievers i think it's easy to get swept up into this culture of like, wow, I didn't know there could be so many things to fix about myself. And I felt that way for a long time. I mean, it probably played into some of the reason why I became a therapist, if I'm being honest. Yeah, there's always, there is always that. I like, there's always got to be a reason why someone became a therapist. Right. It's, it's never going to be just like, Oh, they're kind and cool and they like helping people. There's always going to be something. Um, That's the reason you tell people. But yeah. it's the reason. Um, and then, and just about validation then, because like being healing obsessed, like you, you want validation at some point. You want to be told that you've got something that, that needs fixing. Where does validation come into people's like mental health journeys is it such an important thing to be given a label and to have your feelings like validated like that or are there other ways to validate how you're feeling I think it's a really fine line because I do see a lot of people who are really struggling with something and maybe they go to the doctor or somebody and they're like oh that's normal like I know after my I had my child I was really depressed and people just kept telling me it was normal and I was like I don't feel normal So there's some validation there of like, this happens to a lot of people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should have to deal with it or that it's not a problem. Mm. But then on the flip side, I think there are people who are like, I feel anxious in the morning or like sometimes I have these thoughts and it's like, that's just being a human being. Like you're not really suffering with anything. So it's, it's a, such a spectrum. Yeah. It is a really broad spectrum. I think social media has quite a lot to answer for in in that realm because yeah. there'll be posts like seven signs that you might have bpd or seven <laughs> signs that you've got ocd 
And it's just such like generalized statements. It's like, no, fucking please stop because you're going to make people think that they are fucked. (laughs) I know. It's like you have a heartbeat. Like you might have schizophrenia. Like it's fair. It's really scary. I don't, I always tell people like, really stay away. There's such clickbait. Yeah. It's, it's a real shame because I like, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to see what flies on social media like what does really well and you know that you could put a post up that's just like happiness is a journey not a destination you know that you just get so many people just lapping up it's like yeah. how yeah how can we like en masse stop buying this shit <laughs> i know you've written a book to try and help with it but you have a yeah. hypothesis like how how can we en masse be like guys stop falling for this please I'm really trying, and and this content has not been popular for me, but I'm really trying to teach people how to be empowered consumers of wellness and self-help. And the biggest thing I think is when you look at something and it looks too good to be true, you're like, that sounds amazing. It would take away all my problems. Um, It applies to every person in the world. That's a red flag of like, this, this can't be true then. If, it, if yeah. they're acting like it applies to everyone, it's, it, you know, maybe it's free or they're trying to sell you this product that's going to fix everything wrong with you. It's not real. Yeah. It's a shame because people have been falling for that for centuries, like the original like snake oil, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I'd read some of the other day. I don't know if you've read um, Gia Tolentino's book, Trick Mirror. Mm-mm. Really good book. It's like seven essays on what's okay. wrong with the world. It's great. <laughs> um, and one part is like the original con man. The original con man used to walk around New York and say to people like, do you have confidence in me that I can look after your watch until tomorrow? They would stupidly <laughs> give him his watch and then he'd just never come back. <laughs> and it seems to me that social media is becoming one of those places. It's like, right, I need to build a lot of confidence in someone. I'm going to make them think that I am pretty wealthy and definitely smart. And then I'm going to sell them something and I'm going to just, I'm going to abuse their confidence and, and their trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a shame. It really is. It really is. You also spoke about in the book is opting out the quest for happiness. And I've just done a podcast on this about reframing happiness. And I obviously shit myself whenever I talk about stuff like this. (laughs) I don't want to be wrong, but I've essentially said to give up, right? Like I, I feel like satisfaction, fulfillment seem to be better for you but what is it you mean by opting out of the quest for happiness yeah i agree with you that satisfaction and fulfillment and living in line with our values is much more meaningful and really what i'm encouraging people to do is recognize that all emotions have value all emotions are important in some way and they add to our life and when we live in line with our values we're going to experience joy happiness fulfillment but we also might experience frustration and pain and all this other stuff but that's what it means to be human that's what makes it interesting Mm. and it's far better than trying to achieve a constant state of like bliss joy and happiness that just doesn't exist and it's also not going to be great for you i mean you don't learn anything from that yeah Where's the line then between being like toxically grateful for all of the shit that goes on and also understanding and knowing, and I guess 
being at peace with the fact that life is going to be a bit shit. Sometimes you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry you're going to be sad and accepting that. Well, I, yeah. Where's the line between gratitude and acceptance of that? And mm-hmm. I think there's, there's this middle road where we can use that word and again and say like bad things happen in the world all the time. And so do good things. You know, I have hard moments in my day and I have really good moments. And when we can have that uh, mental flexibility to kind of move between what is good, bad and neutral, I think that's where we see people really thrive. And that's been reflected in so much of the research on emotions and living well. So just not labeling as as like good or bad emotions and just kind of being like a palette in which they, they all appear. Yeah. And trying to decide like, what is important about this feeling? Do I need to investigate it? Is it just something I'm feeling? Like, I'm sure you've noticed there are days where you wake up and you're like, I feel angry and I have no idea why. And maybe you don't want to investigate it fully or give weight to that feeling. It's like, I'm just going to go have some coffee, eat breakfast and see how I feel after. There might also be times you're like, I'm feeling really sad and I've been feeling sad for days. So I should probably investigate that feeling and see what it's about. Yeah, I think people getting curious with themselves is probably like one of the, one of the most helpful exercises you can do. Like I, I've been doing morning pages mm-hmm. recently. So it's like just three, three page in the morning, no mm-hmm. structure. And really after about four or five days, you do start to just feel like, wow, do you know what? I've spoken about pretty much everything I need to speak about now, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, you said about a value-driven life. I, I just want to, for people listening, understand what that is. And I know that people absolutely live by their values most of the time, even if they're unaware of it. But mm-hmm. how can people who are struggling to find their values, find them? Like, what would they be? So this is a part of something called acceptance and commitment therapy. And there are tons of great resources on this if anyone wants to look into it. And what the first thing you want to do is really figure out what's important to you. What gives your life meaning? Where do you spend most of your time? What do you enjoy? And when you start answering those questions for yourself, you're able to look at this list and be like, okay, maybe family's on there, maybe health. Um, maybe spontaneity, financial security, whatever it is. And those are going to be the guideposts that help direct your decision-making. And so whenever you're making a decision, you can kind of come back to it and be like, all right, the most important things to me in my life are my family, my health, and my freedom. So is this falling into any of those boxes? I saw somebody online recently that that's kind of how they set up their calendar and asking themselves, like, does this engagement fall under like relationships that are important to me, um, my health or helping me move forward in my career? Like those were their three buckets right then. And if it didn't, they didn't do it. And so it's an interesting way to kind of check back in with, are you doing things for other people or yourself? Yeah. And then there's a fine line. I guess there with like, if, if that's the only way you do your calendar on, like there's <laughs> right. got to be times when you're going to be called out of, of what, what you value. And it's, it's one of those times that like sure. help becomes like selfish help in a sense. 
Yeah. And I think that's when you have to decide, like, because I think sometimes even if something is calling you out of your values, it it might be a good time to investigate, like, why do I want to do this if it's not in line with my values? Have my values changed? Um, is there something coming up for me here? Because our values change throughout our life. What I valued at 25 is very different from what I value now. Yeah. Yeah. And people aren't very accepting of that. I, I turned 27 last year and it was the first time where I was like, oh, maybe I'm actually getting a bit older now. Like mm -hmm. I didn't like anything I used to like <laughs> three years ago. And I know that it's only going to get worse from now. Every single year, I'm going to keep, keep doing that. I'm like, wow. He had yeah. Like I'm not falling prey for the end of history illusion. I know I've got a lot of, a lot of growing up to do, but it's, I guess it's good to like check in on your values, like God, every month even. <laughs> yeah. And certainly after big life changes, you know, if you get married, get a new job, move, have kids, all of these are pivotal moments where I think values shift in a big way, birthdays, things like that. Yeah. Okay. How, how have your values changed since you had a kid? I imagine. Oh gosh, so much. I feel like I have so much less time that it's like things are a really big deal now in, in terms of making decisions. So I have those buckets of like, my family is very important to me. My job is very important to me. And then getting enough sleep and all that, anything else outside of that requires a little bit more thought yeah. than it used to. And I guess it's just an adjustment period, right? Like every time yeah. you change values, give yourself a break. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay, nice. Just to, to end on this then, because I've had my fill of affirmations and I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been pulling together research on on why they might not necessarily work. And I, I've automatically been drawn to the, there was a 2009 study done and it found that people with high self-esteem fucking love them, yeah. obviously. And yeah, and then low self-esteem, it just doesn't seem to work for. And I, I'm always concerned because I'm like, well, it seems to be that the low self-esteem individuals are more likely to be drawn to affirmations because if mm -hmm. you've already got high self-esteem, you already think you're worthy, lovable and beyond. <laughs> you don't need to tell yourself. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. What, what else is there that I can add to my arsenal of, of studies and, and things to reference? Yeah. So Every therapy training I've ever done has pretty much told me to use affirmations as a tool. So I was very shocked, like you are, once I started reading more about this, that what I've discovered is affirmations work best when there's some type of flexibility involved and they feel true or possibly true for the person. So if you have low self-esteem and you feel like you don't like yourself, Looking in the mirror and saying, I love myself every day is going to feel like a lie. Your brain's going to reject it. Trying to make it like, I am trying to love myself. I'm working on loving myself. I might be lovable can feel a lot more effective because it's not concrete. It's flexible and it's something that you're working to believe. So I would definitely suggest people try changing their affirmations a little bit to that degree. Yeah. Or like adding like an upward inflection at the end of every affirmation. Right. Okay. Right. So like a question. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I, I am very glad that I came across your book and I think it's one of those ones that's gonna, people, people will be referencing it for, for a long time because toxic positivity is, I'm imagining is only going to get worse. 
way um, <laughs> before before it gets any better. Have you changed your mind on anything since you've written the book? I have not. I think I've just started to double down. <laughs> more. I wish I would have added more things to it. Well, well, conveniently, you can just write another one, eh? exactly all right then amazing so if people want to hear more from you obviously they can your book toxic positivity is out now pretty much everywhere you can buy books but where else can they hear you dismantling the the lies of the world yes so you can find me on social media at sit with wit i also have a newsletter like community launching on substack that's called good enough imperfect wellness And you can find that through my website or social media, sitwithwit.com. Oh, it's me again. I haven't completely gone. I just want to say thank you very much for listening to that episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing. Other ways you can support the podcast, if you fancy it, is like signing up to my email list. I've got a new email list that I'm launching on Substack, and I'm going to do the transfer over of contacts very soon. There is a strong chance that I might be in your junk mailbox currently. I would just ask, if you're currently subscribed, just subscribe to this new one anyway, just in case I lose all your details and then you never get an email from me ever again. Or, obviously, if you never want an email from me ever again, don't. It's absolutely fine. I am going to be working on my writing, though, and putting some longer pieces over on Substack as well and trying to create a bit more of a community vibe. So that is in the description of the episode. If you fancy it, that's it. Love you, bye.